welcome to episode 91 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, it's a discussion show or a panel show, whichever way you look at it, with two special guests, uh, Gabriel Weinberg and also Phil Amon. Um, hey, Gabriel, and hey, Phil. Thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Thanks. Yep, <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah, so the, the reason we decided to do the discussion show as a, in a, in a, as a panel is because uh, Justin has been sort of you know, whining and complaining about his teeth all week. And I wasn't sure he was going to be up for doing it. But it looks like he is up for doing it. So uh, we got a full, uh, a full-on yeah, panel. Yeah, sorry, people. Jason. Some of your airtime is going to be lost. <sighs> Justin, well, I thought you were going to call this uh, the party episode. <laughs> Texting party. <laughs> yeah, pre-Christmas. Well, last, last, our last episode, our last, we interviewed two, um, two tech entrepreneurs, um, Samuel Clay from uh, Newsblur and Amir. I can't remember his last I, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Do you know, Justin? Uh, no. Sorry, I have dick. Yeah, very nice. That's impressive. Who does we doest? And uh, Justin, Justin kept saying that he wasn't going to be able to participate. That he was in too much pain. That he was just going to lie down on the couch and, and and control the audio. And but every every like five minutes, there'd be like another like word of God coming through. You know, right. Like, <laughs> so I, I don't believe anymore. When he says he's not going to participate. So guys, I, I got like a handful of topics um, we could cover. Do you guys have anything yourselves that you want to talk, or am I going to drive this thing? Go for it. You're going right. to drive. Let's drive. drive. You, gonna, drive, you, drive the party bus. you drive the party bus, Jason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it. All right. Just All keep right. us on the road. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to start off with no, a couple. No uh, aliens. Although we could talk about aliens. I got an alien topic. If, I, got an if alien. we have to talk about aliens, I guess. <laughs> talk about aliens. So, but well, we're going to start with something uh, sort of close. So, um, last night, uh, my son, Colby, uh, who's six, um, he, he, he asked uh, my wife, he asked Sandy, he goes, how does how does Santa Claus get through the chimney? Right? <laughs> well, first he goes. Well, how do we get the presents? Because we went and got a pick, pick up Christmas tree last night, and he just said, "Well, how do we get? How does how does he get the uh, presents in our house?" And Sandy says, "Well, he comes down the chimney." He's like, "Well, how does he get down the chimney?" <laughs> and uh, Sandy, so Sandy pauses for a minute. She goes, "Well, it's magic." He goes. It, he teleports? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not magic. That's science. He's <laughs> like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but kinda, we're talking yeah. about a kid who designs rocket engines in his spare time. Yeah. I think he's watched one too many episodes of, um, was it Michio Kaku's Sci-Fi Science, where he, where he's, he's a physicist who will break down, like, okay, like, how, how, how could we do time travel or warp speed or how we defeat, like, an, an alien invasion or a robot takeover, you know? And so he tries to break down these incredible concepts, like, is there an actual physical basis for how you could do that? Did someone ever prove if Santa could do it? I don't know. I think if anyone could... It's like a Mythbusters. Could someone <laughs> slide down it? If anyone could, that. Santa could. <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, I, one more follow-up on that. So this morning, Colby goes, um, he, he, he wanted to get his uh, two little sisters, who are Izzy who's four and, and Aries two, to come upstairs and play with him. And he comes up and he's like, Dad, you know, they won't come upstairs and play with me. And I go, Colby, come here. Let me, let me explain something to you. I go, okay, you can't make people do things but you can, you can make them want to do things. <laughs> so what you need to do is try and convince them that they want to go upstairs. And he kind of starts smiling, kind of giggles to himself. And he runs over there and he goes, hey, ladies, there's a fairy upstairs. <laughs> 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 and the girls just completely perk up. They're like, what? 
they all run upstairs. So you just like, taught wow. him how to lie. <laughs> I forgot I said Colby, except you're not supposed to lie. Wow. <laughs> is that the lead into A B testing? I think so, right? I think it is. Yeah. I like B worked better than A. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm pretty much out of material, guys. That's oh, it. Good. Thanks, no. guys. Okay, well, all right. Well I I had a quick thing that I wanted to talk about. Um with with Plugio, I've decided I'm kind of a little bit back into Plugio again now. I'm trying to trying to kind of bring it up and make some good revenue with it. And one of the things I'd like to... And this is since our discussion with David Cancel, one of the things David Cancel brought up was using StumbleUpon to bring traffic to your website. So um, StumbleUpon, I mean, I'm guessing you're all familiar with StumbleUpon, but um, after looking at the tests, StumbleUpon really can drive large amounts of traffic. I mean, we're talking for maybe 60 bucks, um, you can get like 3,000 people going to any page that you want instantly without having to click any kind of ad. So one of the, where would you get that number from? 60 bucks? uh, Well, I've seen it. I've, I've, I've tested it. Oh really? You already ran that experiment? Yeah. Yeah. I've run about to stumble upon stuff too. Yeah. And, and so, so for me, the big issue, the, the, the big disheartening thing for me with, with Plugio over the, over the last year is where do I get my traffic? I just can't, oh God, I just can't be bothered to do all that blogging, et cetera, et cetera. But now I've actually found a source of traffic, right? Which is very, very exciting. So to be able to, to get 3000 people just like that is like awesome. So the next thing to do is to really be able to AB test those pages. So, um, I guess well, hold, 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 I want to ask you a question, yeah. uh, Justin. Yeah. Two things. So, so first, what got you excited about doing Plugio again? Because you were kind of like uh, down in the doldrums about it for well, the last what, couple. What got me excited was the stumble upon. I mean, always the issue for me with Plugio has been where do I get the traffic? How do I get people to the site? Right. Yeah. You know. You know what's interesting about what that those numbers you threw out there. So you figure the other idea, other way to get traffic is through blogging. Yeah. You know, and what we've talked about on the show is right. If you get to write some blog posts, that'll make it to the front page of Hacker News. You can maybe convert some of that traffic or whatever. And you figure how long, how much work is it going to take to write a blog post that's really going to make it to the front page of Hacker News and stay there for any length of time? Probably what anywhere from two to four hours of work at least. Yeah. And that's a significant. You get, you, you get paid four hundred. You know, that's four hundred bucks right so, there. Assuming your yeah, assuming your consulting rates in the ballpark are hundred dollars an hour, that's four hundred dollars. Or if you pay fifty, and 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 I found that. If if I if I write a post that makes it to the front page of Hacker News and doesn't go to the very top, it kind of hangs out in the middle of the page for four or five hours of the day. That that generally gets me about three thousand hits, three thousand page views. So that's significantly. So it's, it looks like it's significantly cheaper to just spend fifty dollars and stumble upon traffic than spend four hours writing a blog post. Okay, well, correct me on this one, but isn't writing an article have a longer tail? Like yeah. it'll hang out for a while, whereas stumble upon the money you pay for a certain amount of time. Well, what I'm thinking is to is to combine both of them. Is to actually write an article, which which is a very well crafted article that basically can also uh, get click throughs to Plugio and get people interested in Plugio, and then drive the traffic to that article using StumbleUpon. So, so I, I don't want to burst your bubble. <laughs> uh oh! <laughs> oh no! All right, this is the burst your bubble segment. All right, with but I, I have not had time. success with that StumbleUpon traffic. It is like super high bounce rate. Really, and and also like driving to the article is like even one more step removed from you know getting to the Plugio experience. I see. Yeah, but you might you might have different. I, I've always like thought the stumble upon traffic idea is great, and I've I I actually tried it again like last week, but because it's so appealing to target, but like I just have never been able to convert it. So what what approaches have you tried so that I can steer clear of them? <laughs> 
Um, maybe it's the products I'm doing, you know, like maybe your, your article will be way better, but I mean, I, I've tried a B testing various pages and they just never converted into users like however metric you want to use it for your product. Huh. Where, whereas the, whereas the hacker news article example, great conversion, you know, depending, obviously you have to coordinate to your audience, but in terms of like early adopters and stuff. But it Generally, feels like stum the stumble upon audience would be very different to like a tech audience who'd be interested in a new search engine. Yeah, I mean, so and stumble upon. Just to be clear, for people who don't know, you can actually target your advertising. It's still five cents a click, but you can target to a specific category, and they they're all over the map. So that's really good, right? Yeah. But the bad part is, I think this is where the traffic, the bounce rate comes from, is the people are stumbling, so they they just they're used to clicking next. And so they often just sit on your page for a second or two, and they're really designed to move on. Yeah, but if you think about if you think about that concept, think about them stumbling through, and think about the fact that what you have to do is you have to have a page that's going to just give them awesome value within the first few sentences, and going to make them kind of stay there. So, the, so the first trick is to kind of act like flypaper and keep them to the page. And of course, I'm saying this just through supposition. Like I haven't got done this yet, but I'm really hoping that I can do it. So, so. Um, what I'm thinking is, is that uh, regarding Twitter and Plugio, right? I mean, everyone is kind of heard about Twitter, but doesn't necessarily know just how much value it can bring to you and what great things it can get get to you. So my article kind of opens with the amazing benefits that I've had through using Twitter for the last year with only five minutes a day and just kind of shows how I found a business partner, how I've earned 12,000 revenue, how I've done this and that. And I'm hoping that that will stop them from clicking the next button and get them to read a little bit more. I hope I mean, so too. <laughs> 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 it's ominous. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, Gabe, you you wrote an article a while back called "My DuckDuckGo Reddit Ad by the Numbers," and in there you talked a little bit about how Reddit worked for you in comparison to, I think, Google AdWords and uh, StumbleUpon. Do you mind? Could you maybe summarize some of the points in that? Article. Yeah, yeah. But just to put it in context of stumble upon, I mean, so if you suppose that some of those people do stumble like really quickly, then you're up at, you know, from five cents to maybe 10 or 15 cents per sort of real person who's looking at your article. Mm -hmm. At that point, you might as well be on Reddit or Facebook or some other these other pay per click sites that are you could get clicks at that rate. So that's just sort of one thing. So Reddit is one of those. Right. And um, basically what I did was, you know, the way Reddit works is at the top of Reddit, it's like a social news site like Hacker News. They um, have at the very top a sponsored link section in with their other sort of new link sections. And so every time you refresh the page, occasionally you'll get one of these sponsored links. And, you know, you can control that with your Plugio message. And you can also, what's interesting about it is you can put an image on it too, so you can attract attention to it. Um, so that's sort of the basics of it. Have you done Facebook um, advertising? Yeah, I mean, to answer a series of questions, I've tried to put money into every advertising platform I can find right, right. <laughs> to, to play around with it. Um, but yeah, Facebook, you can get, um, there was a great article, I think I went through Hacker News uh, a few weeks ago about someone doing um, sort of, ga not gaming, but hacking Facebook ads and getting really low cost per click, one cent uh, cost per click through there. Um, they were doing like surveys for it was like the tw twilight movies and stuff <laughs> but 
that was part of their angle, but they they were the point is they were getting very successful traffic through it for very cheap. Wait, what do you mean twi- surveys for Twilight movies? <laughs> they they were doing so. I am I'm bastardizing it somewhat because I'm forgetting all the details. But part of their their takeaway lesson was to like build your ad on something that is generally applicable to Facebook users, and so Twilight was their hook and. They were, it was like a quiz or a survey or something somehow related to Twilight. I see. So, no, I guess the big question, you know, there's an article that came up a couple weeks ago talking about your cost per customer acquisition. I don't know if it was the CCA or whatever it was called. And uh, and then the, uh, compared to your long time, your lifetime value of a customer. And so the question is, what, what was your cost of acquisition? for a customer for DuckDuckGo on these platforms? So your CPA, right, you could calculate that on different, um, you could define that different ways, right? So for DuckDuckGo, you could be like, well, is an acquisition really someone who just comes and tries a search or is it someone who comes back, you know? Or is it someone who stays for a month? Right. And depending on those, you could get very different answers, right? So I was getting on Reddit down to cost per click at like two cents, something like that. Um, and it's gone up a decent amount because it's become more popular. But I was finding thanks, maybe that, Thanks to you, Gabe. Yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> I was finding that maybe like... Um, I, when I started doing on Reddit, it was hard to track because I don't track IPs anymore. So right. my cost per acquisition is actually incredibly hard for me to determine, but I'm guessing it's, you know, a dollar or something like that. Hmm. And what about StumbleUpon? StumbleUpon was before I had the privacy stuff on, I could sort of track some more repeat visitors and it was like three, four times. So at that time I was trying AdWords, I could convert a user into a three-time repeat visitor for about $5 off of AdWords. Okay. And stumble upon it was more like 15 Wow. Interesting. So, I mean, it really is sources for courses. So my my huge enthusiasm and excitement about StumbleUpon could end up being completely unfounded. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's either yeah, burst your bubble or buzzkill. Okay, so so a quick question about A-B testing. And I think I may be overthinking this, but I just wanted to just ask you what, uh, what your take on it was. I, I'm kind of thinking, does A-B testing mean... So let's say I'm using Google AdWords. Well, first of all, I A-B test two ads and I work out which of those ads is more successful. Then I basically pass through people through to a landing page and I A-B test landing pages and work out which more successful. And then I A-B test um, p- the subscription page where people sign up and spend money. How do I like separate all of those different click streams and do it for, for every one of those A-B tests, do I only just have one person or do I ha- is there some way that I can have like a bunch of different people involved in a bunch of different A-B tests? Like how does it all hang together? You have to make sure your, con- you know, your groups are separated so that when you are making a claim that something's statistically significant, you sort of know what kind of claim you're making, right? So the simplest way to do that would be to separate it all and like you said, do one after the other. But you can run multiple tests at once. You, it just gets harder to manage, and there are some tools you could, you know, you can use to help you do that. Hmm. Um, but what um, you, what do you use? What tools do you use? I I have not used the tools really. So when I've done it, I've just done it on my own, and basically just in your script said, you know, 
pick a random number and send 50% to one page, 50% to the other page, and then count up what they did. Um, sort of basic hacking together. So do you but, do you track one person across multiple pages, or do you just do each each kind of test on a per page basis? You have to define what tests you want to do, right? I think the easiest way to look at it, especially in your case, if you're just getting started, would be to do a landing page test. So send people to your site, but send them to two different pages, and then track some action on that page, whether they download you know, your software or, or do something else, like click on a link. So now do I just track them on that page, or do I track them the whole way through to you know, do they sign up? Did that so I can kind of say right people who went on landing page one, you know x percent of them uh, signed up, then x percent of them ended up being paying customers. So I kind of uh, track them through an entire funnel. Is that the kind of general? Approach? Yeah. So here's the key, right? Is you want to make sure it's statistically significant, which means that you have to have a decent sample size. Right. So it's clearly better if you could go to your actual metric for your business, like conversions, but that may take a long time, depending on you know what percentage of those initial people go through the funnel. I see. So basically, each A-B test needs a significant number of people. So basically, it's best to just focus on the landing page and then see, you know, do A-B testing, how many people move on to the next step. And then once you've kind of determined that, then you'll then you'll do A-B testing on the next step. Is that the kind of way? Yeah, I mean, unless you have really big sample sizes, if you're lucky enough, you know, like if you're one of these sites that have lots of traffic through it, then you can A-B test the whole funnel pretty quickly. I see. Interesting. What do you think, Jason? I think it's time to move on to our X-Files segment. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go on, then. No, I'm just... Hey, what, yeah, it's fine. Uh, you're, driving cool. the, you're, driving the, you're driving this X-Files bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move. So, who saw the arsenic-based life form um, articles pop up this week uh, by NASA? Anybody see that? <laughs> yeah. I saw so, that. it was kind of a real buzzkill, right? Because they said there was, there was some... It was sort of leaking out. It came on Hacker News, and people were speculating that NASA was like a big announcement on December second that you know that they maybe had discovered some life form, you know, like bacteria or something that may be astrobiological or, or extraterrestrial, right? It did not, you know, it was not. Uh, it did not evolve here. But then it came out later, like, okay, well, maybe that's probably not the case. But what may have happened is there may be a second line of evolution that evolution may have started in more than one instance, that it was based off of, uh, you know, the DNA and everything was completely different. But then it turned out later that it wasn't the case, that it was simply a, um, they took some what they call like an extremophile um, type of bacteria that could ex- that could withstand very extreme conditions, and they put it in an, uh, in a, uh, I guess what it's called, like a, who's, who's clicking me? Wait, Gabriel and myself are just talking in the background. We're okay. so completely bored of what you're saying. <laughs> I'm with you, Jason. I'm right there. I'm listening. Continue. Well, don't do that. Arsenic? I mean, you need to just Arsenic? say it because I, you're, totally, you're totally throwing me off. I don't uh, know. Okay, I'll just say I mean, I was just... Say it, was just, it, just it, be a man. It was in my face. It was an audio <laughs> issue issue between that I was just telling Gabriel about, just relating to his mic. Is that okay? <laughs> that I could, you know... I'm just like, I hear these beeps. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Jason is not I thought you were going to say, Jason, your mic's working. Something's broken. I'm like, no, what the hell's going on? I was just talking to Gabriel on, the, on, our, uh, G- on our group Skype chat. Wow. Oh, right. Chill, man. One. Chill. <laughs> I just have to throw me off. I don't, even know where, I don't even know where the hell I was. Phil, do you want to pick it from there? <laughs> what, what was the rest of the story? 
Uh, I heard extremophile. <laughs> extremophile, Pleistocene era. Yeah. Dogs and cats living together. What? It was something yes. about bacteria, like, like yeah. It, so what have happening? Yeah. What have happening is that is they the science the scientist or whatever the scientist they took a uh, extremophile bacterium, I think it was, and they increased the amount of arsenic that it was able to withstand, and then they um, so that it could, uh, re- I guess, replace phosphor. I think it's phosphorus, and with arsenic because they're fairly close on the uh, on the uh, chart of elements. So it was kind of a total letdown. <laughs> Why? Like, oh, like that's it. <laughs> That's that's the, that's the big the big oh, uh, I see. So, announcement. So basically, you know? it was just that some scientists had done that. It, it didn't come from an extraterrestrial source at all. And not even that. I mean, and th- and that would have, of course been incredibly. Uh, that would have been absolutely earth shattering news. But even if they had found a a second line of evolution, that would have been unbelievable because it's you know that it had originated more than once, completely independent of one another. That I would have see. been amazing. Right. But that's not what happened at all. Um, because the, cause if, if that could have, if it would happen two different times on earth and using different set of elements, because you get nitrogen, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and phosphorus I think, and sulfur are the six basic, um, elements that are used for, you know, carbon based life forms. But if they if arsenic, if phosphorus is replaced with arsenic and it, it, it uh, evolved separately, that would, that would give you, that would lead you to believe that there, that external to our planet that other planets that don't have necessarily the same set of elements um or at least they're not working together in the same way that life could originate with different set of elements but that may not be the case that was a total buzzkill oh sorry so what's going to happen what's going to happen when the when this finally becomes obvious right i mean at some point we find something that there's life somewhere else we've got it is it chaos do people flip out if there's like if, if they just even if they find like so there's some sort of yeah. biological they got some sea they turtle like, on another planet. Sea <laughs> 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 you know? the hell put the sea turtle? There? <laughs> Who put the sea turtle there? But do you and think why? people are gonna lose their lose their grip on reality? And I always thought growing up that they would, but now that I'm older and these things keep happening incrementally, I just think no. <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna go on. You know, like extrasolar planets and stuff like that. It's because we've kind of accepted that it's probably true. Yeah, I th- it's like sell the news, right? Or everybody's already psychologically prepared themselves that this is inevitable. The media has taken us in that direction. Yeah, the, they've the already, movies, yeah, it's a done deal. I mean, you know, because we're we're at some point expecting spaceships to land. We've seen so right, many exactly. movies. <laughs> we're so so says, hey, we've detected, uh, you know, some bacteria on some moon, um, uh, you know, uh, of Saturn or something. That there is a bacteria there. You'd be like, people would be cool, and the scientists would be flipping out. But your everyday person would be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> You know, it's just that I don't think it's going to be a big deal. It's not going to really affect anyone's it, it, I'll tell you one thing. It's impossible to predict because if if there is any kind of life or whatever, there's so many millions of different outcomes. I mean, you can just see that by looking at all the different movies. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, just, extended like, research on Netflix. Yeah, like, just, <laughs> watch, just watch District 9. Right. right. Oh, yeah. And then the next movie, watch, <laughs> what's that? The Man Who Fell to Earth. And then the next movie, watch Independence Day. Independence I mean, Day. Yeah. yeah. All these different scenarios. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking I, wonder, of I, I bet you it. I bet you that because we always face these aliens that are superior in technology, right? That's what we always are afraid of. But I bet you, a lot of alien life is like sea turtles and bacteria. I don't like, know what it's about. 
Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it'll probably what I'm finding is they'll just find different types of, like, v- you know, in rare cases, very uh, simple life forms, single yeah, set type of stuff. It's got to be. Like a pyramid, right? Most of it's going to be real simple. Right. And you the know, more complex is fewer of them. Because what is it? There's like a roughly a there's 10 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Is that right? And there's like what 100 billion galaxies, isn't that yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean, if you if you were a superior life form, imagine the search algorithm that you would have to do over the entire universe to find us. If you right. weren't just going to stumble upon Earth, and you were like, well, let's do an active search to find. Well, I don't think they'd like, use stumble upon. I think they'd use Reddit. <laughs> they did the A/B tests. Like this galaxy is probable. Yeah, but it would be a pretty massive search to find us if they weren't right next door, if they're coming from. Although we're interesting, they should visit. We have nice, nice stuff here. <laughs> I like it. Hey, um, yeah. So speaking of sci-fi, do you guys, do you guys watch? Um, what's the? What are the going uh, sci-fi shows? Do you guys watch Stargate Universe? Yes. No. I'm Anybody? ashamed. I'm ashamed no? to say yes. I really, Come on, really like I it. Do you guys watch that? And yeah, no. I also watched the I event. Don't. The event. Which one was that? The event. I don't know that one. Okay. Is that sci-fi? Yeah, it is. It's it's sci-fi. It's uh-huh. like a kind of between. It's a it's a cross between Lost and V. In, in twenty no, and twenty four. And twenty four, yeah. Wow. Kind of got that twenty. It's okay. It's like a C plus. It's pushing for B minus. You know, it's like you're searching for something. You're like, I want to like this show. Like, I, really, I want to like it. But it's just not that great. It's okay. You know, with Lost off the air and 24 off the air, I'm kind of like looking for something. And I um, watched Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably doesn't count in your universe. Wait a minute. Wasn't that, is that, that's still on the air? Yeah. It's, it's, it's season number 10, I think. Oh, God. I thought it was like a WB show from like the night. Hey, what, what's, what season did um, Superman and Lex fall out? Because they used uh, was, to be friends at the beginning, right? It was like season five or something. Oh, it's okay. way beyond that now. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. He's, actually, he's coming back, though, because he was dead. And um, they, he had a clone or something. And now he's, it's the last season. If you well, want to jump in now. <laughs> I'll tell you a great show. For me. Well, uh, Fringe is a great show. Anyone yes. watch that? Yes. Fringe <laughs> is my favorite current like sci-fi show. It started out, it was kind of like a B minus. It was, it kind of wanted to be, it was like Lost meets X-Files. Yeah. But it was still only like a B minus. But it's worked its way up. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty good now. The characters are pretty well developed. It's good. I'd recommend it to anybody who's. So anyway, you, Jason, you were saying about that show, you, you brought it up for a reason. What was the, what was the reason? No, I was just that, I just thought it'd be interesting to see what people, people uh, watched. I thought, I think Stargate Universe is pretty good. It, it was one of those, it's like a sci-fi channel show. So in a sense, you'd think it'd be kind of lame. Like the other Stargate, Stargate shows are pretty, I mean, I never, I couldn't even watch a single episode. They were so bad. But I happened to watch one. I watched Stargate. them all. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think they're awesome. I really love that character, Teal'c. I am Teal'c from Mordok. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> well, anyway, Star- Stargate Universe is kind of reminds me. If you guys, if you guys saw Battlestar Galactica, um, it's kind of almost at that level of just really well done, like a, a much higher end sort of show. Um, but Guyon ruined Stargate uh, Battlestar Galactica for me because he told me what happened at the end before I even got to the first season. I'm like, great, thanks. That's cool. Was I'm gonna get him back? I'm planning. Yeah, next it. time he has a show that we really yeah. likes, he's like kind of queuing up. Yeah. Just gonna ruin it. Okay, yeah. Jason, move on to some of the other, you know, uh, tech-related topics that you've got that you brought up for the show. Okay. Well, you know, one thing I want to talk about, it's not quite tech, but I thought this would be kind of interesting to talk about, is productivity. 
And I want to hear what people do to be like, do, do you guys follow any particular productivity patterns like making you know, the to-do lists or that you turn off email or you, you know, when you work, I'm just curious, like Gabriel, like for instance, what do you do to, to be, be, be productive? Cause you work at home and you have kids. So you really got to pay attention to being productive. I would think. Yeah. Although it's gone out the window having kids a bit, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> as you probably know, it's like every battle plan fall, you know, fails at first contact of the enemy or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Kids are the enemy <laughs> of productivity. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I try to work. I get most done in the morning. Personally, I try to get up it, ideally before anyone else and work then. Wow. Well, when is that? Cause kids wake up at the crack of dawn. My kids wake up at like six 15. I'm sure it's not like I wake up before that. Yeah. I get up at five often. Wow. Yeah. So you work, for, then you work for like an hour and then you're done because the kids are up? Yeah, well, I, I have an arrangement with my wife where she watches him before she goes to work for uh, a couple hours. So I can often work from five to eight. And then you, and how, well, how old are your kids? You have, or you have I have one who's uh, 21 months. And are you a stay-at-home dad? So you, so you watch him during the day? Yep. So I have, I'll get very detailed if you want. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Let's hear. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's evolved, you know, as they get a little older, they take their nap schedule changes. So at the beginning it was actually really easy because he, he would sleep all the time and then he was really sleepy. So he took like three naps a day, but now he's down to one, like two hour, little plus nap. So I work then too. And then in the afternoon, most days I have a babysitter for two hours. And then when my wife gets home around 4.30, she takes over, um, and I get a few more hours there, and then I work at night, too. Hey, hey, Jason, Just uh, this, this would be the perfect time to just mention uh, one of our listeners, um, Donovan, who um, yes. just recently uh, he, he had a, well, his wife had a baby uh, called Molly, who <laughs> was born 11.35 on December the 1st. And he, oh. he also is grand patron of the show and donated $100 to our show. So um, thank you very much, Donovan, for that. Just wanted to yeah, get thanks, that in Yeah, thanks, Donovan. That was awesome, and congratulations. Uh, your life is about is over as you know it. <laughs> he, he, he also sent a, little, a picture of, of his, his newborn baby crying and said uh, that, that he <laughs> empathizing with my tooth pain. So I think that we will um, we'll, we'll put that picture up on the, on the blog. <laughs> I think she should be the grand patron. Yeah. That's, that's I think good. Molly is the grand patron. Okay. Of show. All right, fair enough. That's, so, that's awesome. Yeah, well... I, uh, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. Oh, hey, so, uh, Gabe, Gabe, let me ask you this. So when, when you decide, when you and your wife decided you're going to have kids, I mean, did you decide before that she was even pregnant that you were going to be a stay at home and your wife was going to continue working or how did that work out? Yeah. I mean, it seemed like at the time that was the right thing to do. I, so we're having it, we're having a second one, uh, soon <laughs> now, your, now your life is really over yeah. <laughs> i already have like a cloud or it's a pending doom i can feel it but <laughs> she, it's probably going to change then because i think she's going to either go part-time or, or or quit so I, i'll still be working from home but it you know it's going to have to adjust at that point yeah my um sandy sandy's you know full-time mom we have three and i work at home i have a home office and i actually works out really well for us because i can help her out here and there if she needs me. So she needs to, so one thing when you have two or three kids is that like, okay, one kid, you have a doctor's appointment and the other kid needs a nap, you know, like how do you work out all that sort of stuff? So just the fact that I'm, I'm here means that I can, you know, it's, it's a big help, but, um, you know, but then I'm still around, but, uh, I still can get work done. So 
I don't know. That works out. If she de- if your wife does decide to stay at home, that'll actually work out pretty well for you, I would think. But and the uh, house will be cleaner. <laughs> the house will be cleaner, right? So, so, but you don't follow any like particular like uh, you know the, the getting things done or, or or like the whole. There's a timer thing. What's it called? The Pomodoro technique or 25 minutes, and you do 25 minutes of work and then like what's a five minute break? You repeat that. Yeah, I haven't done any of that stuff. The only thing I, of that stuff I do is I base I try to do the zero in, inbox kind of thing, which I've always done. Um, it just I think it's I haven't even it wasn't like a thing I'm gonna do this. It was more like if I don't do this, I I can't concentrate on my life. <laughs> I right. have to have the zero inbox. So I do that. I keep tasks in my inbox basically. Yeah, that's that kind of works for me too. What about you, Phil? Um, that's what I do to a large degree. I hate having things in my inbox. So what I do is when I get something in, I evaluate it. If I can get it done in 30 seconds, if, I, if it's a really quick turnaround, I'll just handle it in that moment. If it's not something quick, I'll tend to put it onto a list, sort of like the long running task versus short running. So I sort of bifurcate the list. And then for the long running, I try to organize them and say, okay, this is all related to the database or this is all related to like a parsing engine. And so when I go to work on one, I'll sort of lump them together and say, okay, this is all going to be one larger project. And then you got to focus. I mean, for me, I don't have kids, which is great. I mean, in terms of the distractions, but I find, you know what it is? It's like, you always find things to distract you. Like, even if you don't have kids like, oh, I got to do this, or I should take care of that. And so you have to just put all that on your mind. I tend to put headphones on or listen to music or, you know, depending on how hard the task is, I'll, you know, Maybe get some tea out. Sometimes oh. getting in a meditative mood works for me, where I'll just take a break for five minutes to take a walk, clear my mind, come back, have some tea, sit down and do some hard problems. Mm, yeah, getting in the uh, zone is, is, is the trouble. Yeah, it's like, I think it's because it depends on how your mind works. Like my mind races sometimes. So if it's a hard problem, you've got to slow your brain down. So I do some things like that. Um, I think the email is, is a productivity killer if you don't get in control of it. What are you because using just, to uh, manage your lists? I just use sticky notes. <laughs> oh, like real sticky notes? I, well, I use, there's like a, an application on my Mac called Stickies. Oh. And okay. what I do is I just, I just keep a little list there. I, it's not really um, very complicated. I just make a list and I kind of group them together. And this so also one, is, big, one big sticky note? Yeah, it's one long okay. sticky note in groups. And so what I try to do is knock out groups at a time. And then I delete them. So I don't really, I guess that's one of the drawbacks is I don't really have a history of every single activity that I've done. But what ends up happening is we have a source control system. So when I fix something, I check it in with source notes of what went on. And that becomes the, the sort of memorialized, this is what happened. And the notes are sort of a guide. Usually the notes are references to an issue or a bug or a team track issue that I need to follow up on. Do you have Time Machine running on your system? No. No, because no. I think Time Machine would just would would it kind of takes snapshots once an hour, so that way you you could look back through your notes, then you'd have your history, and it just kind yeah. of does it in the background. That's a good idea. Yeah, well, I could do what do you like- guys what do you guys do in terms of uh, goal setting in general? I mean, do you do you do you set your goals at the beginning of the day or the night before, or do you even set goals? You just kind of like you do something, and then they pick it up and figure out what you're going to do next. I mean, how do you even figure that out? 
Why'd you go, Gabe? Go start. <laughs> Mine, mine's yeah, very go. simple. <laughs> no, I don't really have any goals. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's my goal is not no to goal. have goals. <laughs> it's the no. It's the no goal lifestyle. I like. Yeah, it. I no sort goal. of go with the flow. Right. Whatever's interesting you. One of the things that when I first started working from home, the issue for me was feeling like I'd completed, you know, I'd actually done anything because mm-hmm. you, you can kind of get involved in conversations. I mean, Jason will call me up and talk to me for a couple of hours and I'll waste a few yeah. hours here and there. Right. right. So, <laughs> so what I do is I just always at the beginning of the day do a bullet point list of things that I want to get done that day. And then I just essentially tick them off as the day goes through. Yeah, so that and you know what? Yeah, go on. You seed, you go ahead and seed that list. Is what I do. Is I trick myself. Is I give myself really easy wins early on my list. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you'd say, how does that work? If you know you're giving yourself layups, but it does. So if I have ten things on my list for today and three are easy, I can just get them out of the way, and I feel like I've got some momentum. I'm like, okay. If I put a hard one up front, I feel like I just and I'm grinding on it. I'll just feel the pressure. It is like the the empty email thing. I'll feel the pressure of the nine. It's tremendously important to feel like you've achieved something. That's right. That's right. So give yourself a little treat. That's what I do. And it works on it, me, even though I know I'm doing it. <laughs> I, I, I tried that, uh, a couple of variations in that Pomodoro technique, and that actually works well too, which is that if you, can, if you come up with your list of things, you say, all right, well, look, I'm going to work for 25 minutes and take a five-minute break, or even one I'd read about, work for 30 minutes on stuff like that, and then 30 minutes you can do whatever you want. And it's, it's really easy because it's easy to kind of force yourself to spend 30 minutes of, of stuff you don't want to do. And then you get 30 minutes of doing whatever the hell you want, which is... Well, I think there's, there's a lot of psychological um, evidence to support the Pomodoro technique. What, I, what I've heard about this kind of stuff is that your body, if you, if you can structure your day and repeat that structure every day, like say you go to bed at midnight every night and you wake up at six every day and you work you know, for two hour block at the same time. So it's highly structured. Your body starts to optimize to perform in that structure. It's kind of the, it's the opposite of weight training where you want to always break routine to keep challenging yourself. Here you can use routine to reinforce performance. So at first the buzzer goes off in 30 minutes. When you start something like that, 30 minutes goes by, the buzzer goes off, you're not done. But if you keep pushing yourself, all of a sudden you'll find that you could you can squeeze in a lot more work in 30 minutes than you realized because now you're you're adapting your psychology to perform. Uh, it's the same with shaving time off your sleep. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend shaving you know a ton of time off. But if you wanted to get, say, you were sleeping nine hours and you thought oh, this is horrible, I'm not getting anything done, you can start stepping that back to eight. The easiest way to do it is go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, train your body. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reminds me of the first time I took like a spin class. Do you guys know what spin classes are? Do you guys do those? Yeah. It, it, like in yeah, health clubs, yeah. they'll have like all the, they have all this, the, you know, for anyone our listeners who don't know, it's like they'll have all these sort of like, um, I don't know, whatever, stationary bikes that are built for, for really going so, fast, I guess. It's, it's a real yeah. masculine activity. <laughs> it's kind of a mix. It's kind of a mix. Oh, you is that coming from you, Justin? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Hands he almost up. got away with that. He Hands almost up. got away. Yeah, like, I'm not gonna play. Who's talking about that? <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I I did it first time like maybe five six years ago, and the first time I got in there, they're you're an hour long, and they're just brutal if you actually do what the instructor's telling you to do, like sprint for a minute. Okay, now we're you know, raise the resistance for two minutes and go up a hill and sprint, you know, five sets of sprints. And I remember like after 15 minutes, I'm like thinking there is no way I can last an hour. Like I got to quit. I'm leaving. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to walk out of the room without making it a big scene, you know? (laughs) And the only reason I lasted the whole hour is because I was too embarrassed to walk out. (laughs) But you, you sort of get yourself, you, you, you learn how to um, trick yourself psychologically to last the hour. 
So you just think, okay, all I got to do is the first 15 minutes. Like, just get to the first 15 minutes, and then you start thinking the second 15 minutes. And I think it's a lot of the way how, like, marathon runners work, right? You don't think of – you're just thinking the first mile, right? And I think that can go from doing work, like, you know, like you're saying the Pomodoro technique or whatever. It's like, hey, I just want to – if I can just push through for 30 minutes, you know, then I can take a break and do stuff. But then you can probably extend that longer where you can go 45 minutes or to an hour of really intense work before you really need a break. I mean, there's a limit to the point where you just have diminishing returns. But I think you can start out and be a little more liberal about taking breaks, you know, maybe half hour on, half hour off, and then and squeeze it down. But – yeah. Well, another, another good thing to do that I try to do is let's say I'm working on a problem and I'm giving myself a half hour to do it. The temptation is to jump right in at the first minute and begin editing code or, hey, I've got only half an hour. I'm going to run in and start working on it. But if you take five or ten minutes up front to really think about and understand how problem works and play around with it, so increase your understanding of the problem, you'll find that you could probably get it done in 15 minutes. I've had those turnarounds where I think it's a big deal, so I'm already nervous about getting it done in a short period of time. I spend an extra 10 minutes just getting my head around it, oh, yeah. and then, then the answer just pops out. Um, you could even, honestly, sometimes I punt to the afternoon. I take like a 20-minute power nap, and sometimes, sometimes just if you're struggling with something, push it to the bottom of the list, and then if you take like a little pick-me-up 20-minute power nap, which I'm a big fan of, in the yeah. afternoon, you have, you have the solution. So again, these, are, these aren't tricks, but your brain unconsciously, I think, keeps trying to solve these problems. So you have your front part of your brain working sort of as the editor, and then your unconscious is the creator. Uh, I think it's a good combo. I think if you really want to be productive, you've got to leverage, you've got to keep your, you've got to peak zone and do all these techniques. Well, you know, um, the, the, there's been a lot, you just talk about the 20 minute power nap. I do that probably a couple times a week because I'm lucky enough that I have like a, a like these futon couch type things in my office. So I can actually take a nap without being interrupted by the kids. And it's amazing that how much 20 minutes can affect you because I could sit there and try and power through it and I'll be working at like 30% capacity. Right. That's the problem. I'm just, yeah. I just, I can't think straight. I, I keep losing focus. I keep just kind of like, I don't just, I'm just mentally drifting. But then if you just say, all right, screw it. I'm just take 20 minutes, take a break. And then I'm like two or three times as productive as I was before um, by just taking the 20 minute nap. And there was some, there was a studies that I read about it said that if you take like the hour and a half map, the big full REM cycle yeah. nap, usually you're really groggy and, yeah. you, and you're not really functioning very well the rest of the day. But the 20 minute nap, I guess it's just enough to refresh you without without getting your brain in this in this sort of other non-productive state. Yeah, it's the sweet spot. The other yeah, thing people say minutes. to me when I when I tell them to take 20 minute naps is they're like, "Well, you got to set an alarm or you got to do all this stuff." I never set an alarm. No. It's like you can lay down and wake up in 20 minutes. It's almost like sleeping with intention. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's not like you're laying down to go to bed. It's not the same process. Yeah, no, I wouldn't go crawl into your bed and no, pull the <laughs> your sheets pajamas up. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Although, let me tell you guys a secret about this. Okay, so when, when uh, or not a secret, but I'll tell you a story. So when Phil and I started our first company back <laughs> in uh, 1990, this is in the spring of 94, we're, we're not even a year out of college. And, yeah. and I had, and we were, we were getting ready to move out to California where we were going to do the company. We were sort of, and Phil had moved out from Philadelphia to stay with me in Chicago for a couple months. We got, we bought equipment, got organized. And I remember the very, was, this is the very first day that we actually had our new computers and we we're going to actually start working. And it was like an hour of the day. Phil goes, he's, you're reading, you're reading a book on Microsoft foundation classes. And you're like, you know, so Phil, Phil goes, yeah, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this section. I'm just going to go lie down. 
in the bedroom and read it rather than sitting here at the computer. I'm like, all right, cool. I walk in like a half hour later and he's completely crashed out of sleep. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is not bode well. Our first day at a startup and he's like, you know, crashed out like at 10 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, this is going to be a long road. That sounds like Mikey in OC <laughs> County Chopper. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, right. It's, it, we used to have a couch in our office in Pasadena and it was this old crappy couch. We, call it, we used to call it the thinking couch. It's like, I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie down and think. Right. <laughs> and I, and I remember there's a couple of times where I would lie down and think and like wake up like two or three hours later and you'd just be kind of <laughs> sitting at the desk looking at me like, have a nice... <laughs> Have a nice nap there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I, yeah, they, they, I'm a big fan of the nap too. I guess you don't get any of that with the uh, with having to watch your uh, son, right, Gabe? Oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> you, you get your nap. Yeah, I I, I, I like the 20 minute nap too. Sometimes right before he takes his nap, I'll he'll go in like this wind out, and I'll put on Elmo's World, which is like this 20 minute end of Sesame Street. Right. While he's watching that, I'll lay down on the couch. And then I'll put him up for his nap. See that that and I, one thing I just realized is that all four of us work at home, right? So we, uh, which is kind of interesting. I mean, that's that's sort of the exceptional situation, but we've all kind of figured out how to make it make it work. I mean, so Gabe, when you first started working at home, did you have a lot of like difficulty kind of getting structured and getting productive and not like sleeping, you know, lying around in your pajamas until noon and sleep in afternoon or whatever? I've never had that issue ever, and I, I've I've really only worked at a office one year <laughs> of my life, so th- this is more the par for the course for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I think I've worked at offices two or three years of my life, and I, I don't. Um, well, actually, I guess Phil. I mean, I actually say I've only worked for a company for a year of my life, but you know, Phil and I, we had, I guess we had an office, so that doesn't count. On, on a but, uh, kind of Jason, on a, on a kind of related basis, one of the subjects that you sent around because you've uh, Jason's very kindly sent around an email to all of us with different topics, and one of them is uh, what's a lifestyle business, uh, a condescending term used by venture capitalists. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, about that blog that you sent around. Oh me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, just 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 uh, I mean, basically bring bring that topic in because I think I'm kind of interested in hearing. You, yeah, you know, you I'm going to be honest with you. That was the one that I meant to read last night, but I didn't finish reading. But I've heard this brought up a ton of times, which is that, you know, because and, and Gabe, I'm sure will have more to say about this than me. But VCs are interested in big exits, right? They're not interested in the 20, 30 million dollar exit. They got to move the dial on their big funds. And they only have and, and since they only have so many people, their investments have to be of certain size and to get the returns. And because a certain a large percentage of their investments are not going to give them any return, the ones that do return need to be big. So they're going for the big exits. And so these these businesses that are like generating a million dollars a year or something like that, that's just a, a lifestyle business to them. It's a joke. Now, to People like who are bootstrappers or small, small privately held companies that are not funded or just have a little bit of angel funding or whatever. I mean, that could be fantastic, right? Because you could be, you know, making multiples of what you would make be making as an employee with the same type of skill set. Um, but you're also own. You're the master of your own destiny. You get to decide exactly what you work on and what your product is and all that stuff. So while it's looked sort of looked down on because it doesn't, you know, the lifestyle business looks just looked down on. It's not uh, not of interest to VCs. Um, it could be very well be uh, a much better, um, well, lifestyle for sure, but just a better choice for most people, I would think. But, you know, Gabe, you're an angel investor. You talk a lot about this stuff. What do you think about it? 
Yeah, I read the. I actually read the articles he said, <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. I, I had actually remembered one of the things mentioned in that article was a one from Josh Cobman at First Star Capital last year, asking for a better term because it's sort of derogatory, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was a bunch of definitions in that article, and they tried to get to it. I wasn't happy with all of them, but what I thought was the most interesting one was something where it said like. I don't remember exactly the words, but this was the crux where someone who's not interested in growing the business as quickly as possible, where it might impact their, their work lifestyle. And so it's not necessarily that they're not interested in, you know, making money or making a lot of money. It's that they're not interested in making it as quickly as possible, where it might, you know, mean they have to hire people they don't want to hire or, you know, not work from home anymore or whatever that is. So it's like quality um, of life is, is just as just as important, if not more important to them than the earning of the money. Yeah. And as an investor, it's interesting. Like, I think it's, I think it's one of the angel investor VC differences, right? Um, I just think that, so when your definition right there, I think it, where that comes down and the reason why VCs are in, often derogatory is people who are interested in that lifestyle piece usually aren't the people trying to make a hundred million dollar business. And so the VCs are looking at it and saying, okay, is this a hundred million dollar business potential or not? And they sort of, when they see someone like that, they're like, Oh, that's a lifestyle business. Um, but I think it's great. You know, the more people who can work on their own is the better. Well, what do you, what's your, what's sort of your goal for DuckDuckGo? I mean, you, you clearly are living a nice lifestyle and that you can watch your son, spend time with your family, work on cool technology. I mean, if, if it started to take off, would you be excited to go way beyond having a small group of people working on it? Would you, for, yeah, would you but sacrifice I think it's all a, that? I, I think it's a good definition right now of a lifestyle business and the definitions we're talking about because, you know, I, I could have raised money and probably anyone almost anyone else in my situation, I guess, would have raised money by now. Um, but I value the lifestyle piece, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big, I mean, I've, I've had opportunities to take jobs or take these things where I could make more money and I'd have to move to a different city and work a ton of hours. I'm just like, I have no interest in that at all. Um, I mean, I, 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 I like to make more money, but I'm not, it, but I'm not going to do it at the expense of my life because what the hell is about making money if you're not, if you don't enjoying your life. And that's kind yeah. of a, a, a bit of a bone of contention that I have with, uh, with my wife, Georgie in, in that, um, I could be working, you know, a lot more hours a day at an hourly rate. So I could be earning a lot more money, but I choose to spend a certain portion of every day working towards entrepreneurial goals, which don't bring in that kind of level of money. It's kind of an interesting... But that's, but that's a little different thing because what you're doing is you're saying, okay, you're, 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 you think of like the money that you put into, um, it's like an investment portfolio. Okay. So the money that you put into your day job or to your consulting hours is like putting money to a savings account or to bonds. And the money that you're putting in investment portfolio is like, you know, these high risk, you know, stocks, right? They, you may lose that money, but if it, if you, if it return, if you get a return on it, it's going to be huge. So if you look at it from a, a diversification standpoint, some, some um, mix of, of the high risk and low risk investments. So investing time rather than money makes sense. Now, the question is, should you spend four hours a day consulting, three hours, eight hours, whatever? But, you know, I, for me, I think it's something like, you know, two thirds of it should probably be spent um, in just as a 
ballpark estimate, two thirds spent in the low risk, just making money to pay the bills, and uh, a third invested into the for the for the long run. And well, it all depends on how, what your expense, what your sort of burn rate is, and you know how much you have money you've saved and everything. But well, here's here's the thing: her, her family and her family's background. There's there's zero entrepreneurialism um, kind of thinking from that family. Like their their thought is get an education and you know work for somebody else, work a job and work for someone else. And that's the only experience that she's had from everyone else until she's met me. So she just kind of sees it as as a waste of time <laughs> in many ways, right? <laughs> because because it hasn't kind of it hasn't panned out. It hasn't proven you know. Um, what, what do you think about that, actually, Jason? I mean, to put it in, like, simpler terms, the, you guys have different expected values for the outcome, right? Hers right. is zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yours is potentially equal to or higher than your consulting. Yeah, and she's also in the awkward situation because, you know, you're pursuing entrepreneurial ventures that give you other rewards than monetary ones. Yeah. So you may be passionate about, you know, programming and whatever language, doing whatever you want, but she won't share. She can't share your passion with you. Unfortunately, she may get a contact high. She may say, I'm happy when he's happy. But the direct happiness is probably something that you're going to only feel if as long as you're pursuing entrepreneurial efforts that you're passionate about. And she's thinking about it from mona- that's her primary return is monetary. So like Gabriel's saying, her exp- she doesn't has she doesn't have a way to risk you know, risk affect that. So she probably assigning it a zero. It, it's interesting because I like I uh, in, in on a contract basis, like I earn, I certainly earn enough for us to survive. You know, there's 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 no issue there. But it's just this sense of well, these other hours are kind of being wasted because how could you know? How do I know anything's ever going to come from that? Well, you know, it's fair enough from her perspective, right? Because if, if you guys are just kind of just getting by and she'd like you to, you know, buy a house or be able to take a vacation, you're like, look, we can't afford the vacation or we can't afford to buy a house right now. And she's like, well, if you worked a few more hours, we could, because those aren't like, that's, it. that's exactly right. you got oh, it. For, you, you got from it her pers- yeah. yeah. Cause from her perspective, those aren't crazy things to ask. She's not asking for a diamond necklace. She's just saying, look, I, we need to buy a house. Yeah. Um, and you're, if you just get off your butt and quit horsing around all day and, you know, just bill a few more hours a day, we'd get there, no problem. And that's completely fair, especially if she's working a full-time day and you're working like part-time from her perspective. Yeah. She has she in, she has a reason to be resentful if she thinks, yeah, if she's extending an outcome to those other in, entrepreneurial endeavors, zero. Now, the question is, are your entrepreneurial endeavors more just hobbies you messing around? Are you really trying to make money from them? If she thinks you're really trying to make money from them, you're not just messing around, um, you, know, you know, scratching your geek itch, she's going to be you know, she's not going to be so thrilled with that. So I, I think what you have to do is just not only either just either focus on things, your entrepreneurial efforts that are going to make money and, and do everything you can to make them, you know, productive, not just work on them because you think they're interesting and get her in line. So right, this is, this is my expectation of this. And I know with Sandy, when I talk about Epic Night, I'm like, look, you know, this is the goal, you know, I'm trying to release, you know, at this point, and I, I want to try and get to the point where I scale out of consulting over a period of 18 months, and maybe the 18 months, you know, I'm fully done with consulting. Like, that is the expectation. It's not like, well, I'm just going to kind of work on this thing, and then something miracle happens, and then all of a sudden, I don't have to do consulting. Yeah, and also, too, I'd say this. Not all dollars are created equal. So, as you, as you have, like, if you look at your wealth, every dollar you add gives you a diminishing amount of happiness, and security. So your first million gives you more than your second, gives you more, or, you know, your second million is less than your first and your third is less than your second. So it diminishes. My suggestion in this case would be 
make sure you have six months, a year's worth of emergency fund, something in your account that pushes your wealth up such that she's not valuing those next dollars as highly. Because if you're if you have nothing in your checking account, and she's that next thousand dollars is going is very very valuable to you guys. So she's going to put a very high cost on your foregoing that wage to pursue what she considers a long shot. So, if so you, should I just you, stop all entrepreneurial? Well, efforts? it's not it's not unreasonable. No, it's not unreasonable. I mean, if I was a, giving you financial advice, I would say make sure that you that you have a six month cushioned emergency fund. Uh, in general, and that's for anybody to you know to to get that. Now, if you say, "Hey, you can easily get that," I would just do that, and that will go a long way towards you know. Marriage is about everybody giving each other, you know, working together as a team. So she's saying, "Hey, I'd feel a lot more comfortable with you spending all these hours working on entrepreneurial stuff if we had a little bit of a cushion in the bank where I felt like we had some security, because that's really what I'm looking for." I think that's a good compromise. I don't know your situation, but uh, you know. Here's a here's a related point. I like the the money is not uh, equal value point. And another way it's not equal value is I bet the first dollar you start bringing in, her expected value of your efforts will change. Like if you if you start showing you're making any money from it. And so one approach would be to focus on things. I know you're already invested in your project, but for other people <laughs> might be to focus on things that are one of those profitable from day one businesses where, you know, maybe you're only bringing a hundred dollars a month at the first or ends up being a thousand dollars a month, but it um, is something that's tangible versus, yeah. you know, it's going to be a year and a half before we even right. finish anything to release. That's great exactly. advice. Yeah. I've actually well, heard that they say you shouldn't do a project that won't become profitable in over a year. Meaning, in general, especially in a single founder or you're a small company and you're, not, you're looking to bootstrap, you, you should not pick ideas that you feel will take you more than a year in general, uh, even if you're not married. Well, Justin, how many hours do you bill a day on average? Um, I, I guess the average would be sort of five, maybe five or six, five to six hours a day. See, that's not too bad. I mean, I mean, the, the most that she could really ask you with any is 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 probably eight seven to eight of real billable time right because you can't bill for lunch so if she's if she's working eight or nine hour day and she has lunch often she can't really expect you to be billing 12 hours a day so even if you say i bill seven hours a day that's not too far off from where you are now you know you could you could beat her in the middle say all right i will i'll work an extra hour hour and a half a day get it up to six and a half seven and that still gives you time during the night and the, and the weekends especially since you don't have kids i mean you don't have anything else pulling at your time i, I think the whole thing is generally frustrating for her because I get to, I get like, she, she really slogs, slogs hard, right? So she's, mm-hmm. she's kind of working for the county as a child therapist, right? Working really hard. And I kind of am at home making my own hours, earning basically three times more than she does. And right. I just kind of have the life of Riley at home and I can relax in the sun when I want to. <laughs> I think just, just in general, the whole, the whole thing doesn't balance out, you know, in, in a great way. Um, I don't know whether anyone else has that experience. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's 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 the there's always a thing where, where if you feel like you're working harder than somebody else, <laughs> it's always a little in your in your you know on your team, it's always a little frustrating. I mean, it, you know, it's it's one thing if there's a day or two goes by or a week and someone else is not working that hard, but over long periods of time, if someone on your team is sort of feels like they're even if they're more productive, if they're just kind of not doesn't seem like they're trying or suffering as much, it just it just it can bother you. But what about if like I'm kind of you know generally bringing in terms of breadwinning, kind of certainly bringing in 
a lot more, let's say. Well, so, but, but I'm working a lot less, bringing in a lot more. So why, you know... I think that's analogous to his productivity thing, though. It still eats yeah. at you, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, from her perspective or anyone's perspective, you know, that's what I looked at when I was growing up. I was seeing people who were making a lot of money, who were putting in, um, you know, less time. I, I would say, you know, anybody in that situation where you feel like you're slogging away at a job and you don't feel like you're making traction, create a long-term plan to say, okay, how do I get to this ideal lifestyle? And we talk about lifestyle business. I think everything's a lifestyle business. Even being an employee is a lifestyle business. You like the lifestyle of an employee. Uh, you know, so, you so for example, do you, do you think that I should completely give up any entrepreneurial stuff, do 100% consulting work, and make it so that she can essentially leave her job? And well, no, because, uh, well, I'm not And you're going to reverse it, then. You're going to be unhappy, you know? Well, but she has to, but change is something that comes from the individual. So I don't think you can say, well, I'm going to do all these things and this person's going to change. Like she needs to, or anyone, it's not, if somebody wants to make a change in their life, say I'm miserable at my job or I don't really like it, um, that's reasonable. People, you know, I've, I've had jobs where I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. I, I feel I've outgrown it. The problem is people feel trapped and they don't know what changes they need to do. And so they should, you sit down and, and start, you guys should do a lifestyle modeling sit down at the table and say, what, what do we want our lives to be like in five years? You and I, where do you see yourself working? Where do you see yourself doing? And, and find out what the dream is. And then once you have the dream, you can say, well, what steps do I need to take in order to get to that point? And then, then, you, have a, then you have a path and that's going to bring a lot of hope, right? Because then you know how to get there. And it may, the thing with changes, particularly with jobs, it's not going to be overnight. It's not like you're going to, on Monday morning, all of a sudden, change everything, nor, nor would I recommend it, but you can get there and you'd be surprised in, in, a, in a two to five year horizon, you could radically transform your life. You know, I've completely forgotten how we got on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, I actually say one more thing to say on it. And I think Phil makes a really good point. I think one more thing you talk about giving up your, you know, how, how, you know, all your entrepreneurial things. I think that's a big mistake because that's who you are and that's really what's driving you. And that's, that's passion. What'll happen is if you do it, you're going to resent you're going to resent her and you resent your life and it's going to lead to much bigger problems. So you do need to come up with a compromise where you both feel like it's reasonable. And, uh, I remember when my, my younger brother, Jeff, he, he was working as an engineer. He was out of college a couple years and he wanted to fly jets in the Marine Corps. He had been, he'd been in the Marine Corps after high school before he went to college. And he was like, man, going back in as an officer and flying like F-18s would be the, would be awesome. And he went to, did a summer of like their officer candidacy school and only had one more summer to do it. And his wife Paige kind of put the kibosh on it. She's like, look, I just don't want to live the military lifestyle where we're, we're moving to a different city every, or different, you know, small town every two years and all of that. So he gave it up. But he, after a year or two, he just couldn't do it. He's like, I can't live the civilian life. I have to go back to the military. And it was just a matter of time. And he ended up going back in and flying Blackhawks in the Army. And, you know, it was just kind of thing where it's just like, you can't just tell people no to their dreams. You just can't. Because eventually, you're gonna, it's going to explode. Mm. Um, and they're, just gonna, they're going to do it anyway. And there's going to be a lot more damage. So you don't want to like, it's just it's the pressure builds up and it explodes. And the other thing I'll say is, I, I don't know what, you, what the expectations were when you first, you guys first, before you got married. But I told Sandy, when, you know, right when we were, before we were in a gaze, I just said, look, I am always going to swing for the fences. I'm never going to settle. 
ever. And it's probably going to be a roller coaster. So if we get married, just to know (laughs) that's what it's going to be that I, until we hit it, I'm going to be swinging for the fences. And she's like, and she's like, fine. She's like, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Let's do it. Right. She's like, I want exciting life. She's no, like, but, it, but it, there is a difference, right? In your situation, basically Sandy is, um, stays at home. And yep. so, so therefore you have that full support and it, it would be much better if I could do the same kind of thing. Well, no, it's all on me, dude. I got to make all the money, right? It's completely, I, there's no risk diversification. There's no other income source. It's all on me. So when I take a risk, I risk everything. You know, I risk a lot more than if she had a full-time job and it was like, well, you know, so, and I, when we have ki- kids, so there's a lot more, when you have kids, there's a lot more pressure, a lot more stress. All I'm saying is though, is that it's a, a lot of it's about expectations. So People have to ha- sort of, a, you know, understand, have, have sort of equivalent expectation of what's going to happen. Otherwise, you got problems. Good advice. But anyway, on other things. So um, let's see here. I'm going to try to find the next one. Oh, I got one. Here's an interesting one. Um, one of our listeners, uh, Matthew Krieger, had emailed me and he sent me this long email kind of. And one thing he was kind of complaining about was that we interview a lot of founders who have been successful, and we use those examples over and over again. Patrick McKenzie, Peldy, Jason Cohen, uh, you know, even you, Gabe. And we refer back to them, and people were like, okay, you know, fine, you keep using the same examples, but maybe we're falling into cargo cultism here where you know, what worked for them may have just been very specific to them and their situation and aren't it doesn't illustrate any general principles that anyone else can utilize or leverage. And, and I'm just curious what you guys think about that. I mean, are, are, are we, and do a lot of these blogs and, uh, and, and podcasts and people who, who sort of interview and cover the successes, are we all following into some sort of, um, I don't know, survival bias, cargo cultism? Well, I'll, I'll just start by saying the first thing I want to say is that life is a fractal. So the very fact that life is a fractal is, you can, I think you can learn lessons from anyone's success. So I, I kind of disagree with that straight away. Right, Gabe, what are you, Gabe, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I, so I, uh, I agree and disagree. <laughs> um, I agree that with the life is a fractal thing. And, and um, I like how your general approach is to dig into the miracle function, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I try to do with some of my interviews. On the other hand, I basically have stopped doing it because... I do think that there may be a long-term better way to do it, not for an interview show per se, but there, there are certainly things that are particular to each person. And I think there are ways to extract, to try to extract, you know, the tips and the tricks out of that. I think you can do that in an interview too, but you really have to focus on it, you know, say like, what is, what was repeatable here? You know, what do you think other people could use? Like really try to drill down on that aspect. Right. Bill? Yeah. It, well, I, I kind of agree with what everyone's saying. I, I think it applies to everything, not just entrepreneurial ventures, but advice on, you know, dating advice. I mean, that there's tons of people saying like that kind of stuff. Any advice in general from someone who's quote unquote succeeded, which I would say is there's, there's no way in life you're ever going to substitute thought by some mechanical process. So if I said, hey, follow this recipe just verbatim like a machine and you're going to get a successful startup. Uh, I, you know, maybe that could work in certain cases, but as a universal uh, tool, I, I just don't think you can substitute thought. I, the best thing to do is, is start 
absorbing all this data, what's going to happen is as you start absorbing these stories, they have value. You absorb them, you're going to start forming connections and analogies. You're going to start, because that's how the brain works. You start seeing patterns. So these patterns will start to emerge in your mind sort of automatically or magically. And then those patterns are going to become part of the process you're going to use in the moment to make a decision. And you're going to say something like, in your <laughs> venture, you'll, you'll come across some sort of business problem. And while you're trying to solve it, sitting there at your computer, you're going to have this network of, oh, yeah, I heard all these interviews. And you're going to say, this is applicable here. There'll be an anal- there, you're going to see that analogy, and you're going to use it. But it, you may not. You may learn. 90% of what you may learn may never be applicable. But that 10% will. So I would say to people, can, there's, there's value in hearing people's stories, like Justin was saying, whether they're failures or successes, because it's just, it's more data. And the more data, you, yeah. you're so right. It's basically learning by osmosis kind of thing. Yeah. And your brain does a lot of the hard work by, usually the brain will put all those connections together. You may not realize you understand a lot, but if you, you know, if you just go back and you listen to texting for last year, not to pitch it, <laughs> but right. if you did that, you're going to have, your brain will put it together. Just yeah, to put you, another point on that too, like the um, the fact that every story is unique, it also is true that I, I I just very very doubt that every story is not repeat every aspect of every story is not repeatable. Like they're not really that unique a snowflake. I bet right. you could repeat most people's processes. Right. If that makes any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. I mean, there's, there's definitely human behavior. We you know the economy. Uh, there are particulars that are going to be different. But like I agree, like they talk about stories, you know, there's only so many stories out there and a particular story, like a particular snowflake follows a general pattern. And I think that's applicable here as well. And uh, yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think it's easy to, okay, you, 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 the pro- one of the problems is that if you're, if you interview the same set of 20 people, you hear the same stories over and over again. And, and a lot of them were really well known. Like everybody heard Patrick McKenzie's story, at least in their hacker news sort of, you know, sphere. Um, and so you need to look for other stories. And like last week, we interviewed uh, two guys, uh, Sam and Amir, who nobody had heard of. And, and both of them had bootstrapped in different ways and were succeeding in different ways. And uh, Amir himself had you know, had succeeded to the extent that he didn't have to work again anymore if he didn't want to, his were generating and they, and they had gone and, and they both competed against in areas where there were a lot of different competitors. There are already many established thousands of competitors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they did things in completely different approaches. And I think the thing is that if you get a, if you get a broader set of data, if you bring in people, you interview people who are, uh, whose stories are unfamiliar, then it, you add to the data set. But you're right. I, I think, the, I mean, the, the problem is, is if you do have the same, that might be one of the problems is that if you hear the same stories again, people get a little like, okay, I've heard it. And, you know, I, I'm not like Derek Sivers. I can't do CD baby. So the other problem is, uh, the other problem with storytelling is that storytelling, we all have our own conceptions of stories. And so what we end up doing is we end up leveling and heightening the reality of what happened. So if I was to tell you about today for me, I would level out certain things and heighten other things and sharpen other details to make it a more enjoyable story, right? Because I want to tell you a story about my startup. So I'm going to, by necessity, trim out a lot of details and I'm going to change certain things to make it more exciting. And I think part of the, part of my frustration with storytelling is that I feel it doesn't always crack the nut of, okay, this sounds like it's a novel. This is not the way life 
unfolds. It's like reading a transcript of an actual conversation versus an author writing a conversation. Well, some, some, the problem is, is that texting is also there to be entertaining. That's, that it's right. not just there for learning. It is kind of a magazine show. And if you, if you were to just go down into the kind of the transcript of exactly what happened, it would be kind of boring, right? <laughs> I mean, you want you want to get to hear a little bit of. Um, we're edu. We're edu. We're Justin. We're edutainment. Yeah, edutainment. Yeah. That. We get try. We try. Hopefully, we'll all learn something, but it'll go down easy. Right. You know. But I think there's also a bit of. Um, you know, you look at things that are succeeding and you try and find reasons why you couldn't have done it or why it wouldn't have worked for you. And I think that if people just are convinced themselves to really give stuff a shot and just like, this is going to work, um, and that you can find the things that will work for you in these people, even if they had a few advantages or a few special circumstances, you can say, these other things are, are definitely workable. And I'd like to bring up a, something that's kind of similar. Um, an idea, which is there's an interesting article that popped up this morning called um, "There's No Such Thing as Talent," popped up on uh, number one on Hacker News this morning, and the guy's point was like, he was basically saying there's no such thing as talent; it's all just hard work, which I frankly think is total BS mm -hmm. <laughs> because I mean it's it's a nice it's it's one of those nice things that you you'd like to believe it makes you feel good, like people who do bad things kind of get theirs in the end and that nice people, you know, if you just, that things come back to you, but it's not always true. I mean, there's evil people, people who, who screw people over who live great lives because they've taken, they've just taken advantage and they've been successful. And it's just, it's a crappy thing that happens. Sometimes. I hope you're not going to bring up Rob Walling in any way now. No, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob, we love you. Um, the, uh, but I mean, because anybody who's, been involved in say uh, you know sports which is my where i have a lot of experience and i think it applies to you know any number of fields and you know music and art and chess or math or whatever you know, any number of examples it's like there are a lot of people who all work relatively hard or about the same and there's some people who are just so far ahead it's not even they're not even close and i think there's a you know I, i'd just be curious what you guys think about the natural talent concept like the it's almost like that nurture versus nature argument with kids like how much is it genetic and how much is it like you know what you do as a parent to give them you know set them on the right track and and all that so i don't know gabe what are your what are your thoughts on yeah i mean there's talent? clearly people who have natural gifts i mean i've seen it in my own life my own self you know like things i was much better at school than other things comparative to other people but then there's of course always you can practice and get better um, and usually if you practice super hard, you'll, won't become a professional athlete, but you'll, you know, be better, better than the average person. So I think it's a mix, but there's definitely talent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Wait, that. Well, wasn't it there well, that Phil, you're, Phil, Phil, your yeah. background is in acting and improv. And I'd be curious what your thought is. I mean, cause a lot of people try out to do improv comedy and most of them are terrible, right? Yeah. Well, there's right. I mean, not only, I think what was it? Mart Howard Gardner talked about multiple intelligences. There are people who have linguistic, more linguistic intelligence, others mathematical, some are spatial. Our brains are different. And so we have different um, intelligences. And then also personalities are different. You talk about it, theater, I mean, personality factors into uh, those things like being shy or, uh, you know, other things, outgoing. And personality is different. And that varies. And you'll find that personality, when they talk about interviewing, most interviewers say that success is establishing rapport. So if you go in to interview for a job, you know, your main goal should be establishing rapport, not, telling, not convincing the person how smart you are. Because people tend to like those people who they like. Mm -hmm. 
emotionally. So you could find people who aren't very bright succeeding in technical fields because they have more of these personality skills of establishing rapport, forming relationships. That's how I've done it. That's how Justin does it because he doesn't know anything. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think you know, success in life and talent. I mean, what is talent? You know, does somebody have a talent for landing jobs? Yeah, they, I mean, they could because they do certain things. Um, I will say what's interesting. I re- read this article about cab drivers. And maybe you don't think about the talent of driving a cab every day, but it's a talent. And what happens is that the brain, I think people, think of, people tend to think of the brain as like a brick in their head. It doesn't change. But in fact, the brain is like a muscle and it adapts. So they studied cab drivers who've been driving cabs for a long time, like over 10 years. And what they saw when they did brain scans was that their brains actually had adapted at driving cabs better. And because it was like the repetitive thought process, you just kept thinking about it and thinking about the problem, they would give these cab drivers a cross-section like Clark and Division. And their brains would fire so fast to give the exact best route at the time of day for that city at that time of the year. It was incredible processing power. So the flip side of, I I totally agree with the whole nature argument, but the flip side is as you condition your brain, just remember every day that you spend time thinking about solving computer programming problems or what's the quickest way to get to Clark and Division, your brain is adapting to make that process more efficient. So you know, I'm sure you've met guys who are programmers who you tell them the pro- you say, "Hey, I'm having this problem," and they immediately know the answer. <laughs> and they're like, "I hate you." But I guess it's the whole Salieri Mozart thing, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah. you can you can become an amazing composer, but you still won't be Mozart unless you've got the talent. I guess there's those people who just are genetically adapted or pre-adapted to certain types of thinking, where they, they the answers are immediate. Uh, I, you know, Malcolm Gladwell had a great book on that called Outliers, and he kind of debunks some of the, uh, some of the myth of genius. And I, maybe that's where this guy is coming from with the myth of talent. And, um, it's trying to say, like, he did a study about virtuosos and violin, like kind of the uh, Salieri thing. And he found that he studied people who practiced all the time and then how good they were. And he found, he said, he was looking for the person who never practiced, but was highly accomplished. Like, where's that guy, right? The, the, the sort of genius. He said he didn't find him. Now, I, you know, whatever you, I agree with you guys. It's, it's, it seems like there's got to be a guy who never practices basketball, who can just go out there and, and just dominate. Well, didn't Jason say that was you in, in math or something like that when he first met you? Well, no, I, wor- I worked hard. You know, the other <laughs> thing too you, you, have to, you have to bring into effect is, it's not just putting time in, it's putting time in effectively. So it's your productivity. You know, I've met programmers who will work 20 hours on something, but it's not productive time. They're not, they're not uh, you know, they'll say, well, I worked really hard on it. I'm like, well, you've worked hard, but you're not working smart. You're not, you're not putting the pieces together in a way that's efficient. So, you know, I work, I, what I try to do when I study is I try to study highly, you know, in a very efficient manner so that I'm, I can try to study in three hours. So that might be the difference. Yeah, well, you know, I think also if you look at the sort of normal curve, there's always going to be a normal distribution for this kind of stuff. And it's not like, well, there's the genius and everybody else. 
right? There's there's a right. huge distribution. So there are people who who are really not talented at all at something, and they're going to work hard, and they're still going to be pretty bad. And I've seen that happen in sports all the time because a lot of people love love to play sports, but still most people were really bad even after years and years and years of playing. I mean, the vast majority of them are still really bad. And and I, the reason I use sports is because that's just the world I'm more familiar with. But if you if you it just but if you look at it sort of mathematically, if you take if you if you think of like hours in the hours that you put working on something and that's just sort of um, moves you further up the curve if you put if you push that on everybody on the curve it just moves the whole curve right there's still going to be plenty of people even if they worked a lot aren't still are still not going to be near the people mm-hmm. people on the left side of the curve are still not going to be near the people on the right side of the curve if they both put in you know 10,000 hours of work right you know there's that final competitive advantage that you can't get rid of no it's just it's just i mean you see people have like 45 inch vertical jumps i don't care how many times you jump up and down or lift weights you're never gonna have 45 inch vertical i'm sorry it's just not gonna happen (laughs) you know but um but if there's something somebody wanted to do they could achieve through discipline um satisfaction in doing that like they may never be in the nba but they could play at a high level um, yeah, well, you could still, you know, relative yeah. to what they could normally have done, they could still right. play, get yourself a decent level. I mean, the thing is that you should do what you love to do anyway. And most right. people figure it out pretty early. Like, well, I love this, and you know, but I'm not going to be a professional, or world class, or even play at a collegiate level. But that's fine, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to. You no, know, everybody has to be a. Well, what about, for example, level. where would you place someone like Tiger Woods when he was in his prime, and everyone else was so far behind him, it was just kind of laughable. Like what? What would you? Say, how would you say well, he, he had fits the best, into this? He had the, he had the combination. He was a really good athlete, right? He was a great natural athlete, um, and he you know, started extremely young. And he had great coaching and great discipline, and worked, you know, for uh, you know a long time. And he probably had a very good psychological disposition um, to play golf. Golf is very much a psychological game, as much as it is a, a sort of an athletic game. It's, so. it's strange that the, the, well, the one guy can get... So the same thing happened in Formula One with Schumacher, right? Where he was just so far ahead of everyone else so consistently. It was just almost like boring to watch the racing, you know, Formula One from that point forward because he'd always win. Well, you see that in everything. You see that like in chess with, with Bobby Fischer. You see like, what was it, Usain Bolt who won the 100 meters? He ran like a nine five something or nine it was just he looked like he was running with eight against eighth graders in the finals of the 100 meters in the in the olympics it was unbelievable it was like you're watching a different species of human um <laughs> it really was did you guys have you guys seen right. see the finals in the 100 it was unbelievable guys like six 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 seven and he just took off and like the other guys weren't even on the screen <laughs> it's amazing and these other guys were like running nine eight threes or something and you just just shake your head and not and those guys were all phenomenal natural gifted athletes i mean they're the best in the world and they work their entire years and they probably most of them are probably on steroids and most of them have used every feeble training advantage and they still couldn't compete with hussein at all he's like sticking his hands up in the air smiling the crowd the last 10 meters it's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) people like that then i mean that really does indicate the the nature thing versus the nurture is that it's always there. but here's the thing it's not important to focus on because you don't have to be the best person out of six billion people to be incredibly successful in life in anything you want to do right yeah to be a do- you and know sports sports are also a tough analogy because the dimensionality is so linear right running 100 yards right that is that is one you're measuring one dimension of a performance so he's got uh hussein bolt has this amazing ability to run 100 yards fast right but it, an entre- an entrepreneurial setting like a startup is so complex and requires so many different skills and is something you don't have to do alone. You can bring other people in that I wouldn't say there is any sort of gene like, there's no analogy to this person's a genius at it. 
natural born entrepreneur. I mean, you could say he's got the personality to do it, but I, you know, I, I think you can always, as long as you're honest with yourself and you say, look, I know I'm not really great at this. So I need to strategically shore that up. You could build a pretty strong team and that team can do well. But isn't it similar in the sense that when, when, when an entrepreneur is successful, they are so much more successful than everyone else. For example, Bill Gates with his 40 billion and Zuckerberg with his, you know, 8 billion or whatever. Like, doesn't that kind of, uh, isn't that like a fractal of the sports thing where they are just really out in the head in the field? Maybe. I mean, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a distribution, right? They're always going to be outliers on both sides. Uh, you know, there's going to be outliers and outliers aren't really important to focus on for like leading your life. Like how, what should I do? Well, there'll be people who, you know, have these certain advantages. That's fine, but you can still, but yeah, they're always, well, gonna be you know, Gladwell talks about that and I'm not trying to be a Gladwell person here, but if you look at someone like a Bill Gates, his argument would be he was at the right place at the right time. Had he, if he was born, same guy, if he was born two years ahead or two years behind, that window would have closed. And maybe there was a better Bill Gates that was born five years later, but he just, the, the wave was breaking. So and that, was, that was Steve Jobs. So this, this is, I mean, it's just <laughs> basically random, <laughs> yeah, random luck, right? <laughs> there's always going to be well, luck in any right. yeah, yeah, Especially in business. I think there's always a lot of luck. And I, that's why it's like, you got to be careful to get too full of yourself if you have some success and think, oh, I'm awesome. I'm so much smarter. Else. That's why I succeeded. It's like, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, you may be smart and you worked hard and you made some good choices, but there's a, there was a certain amount of randomness and luck that happened. And so it's, it's, it should 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 help to keep people somewhat humble because yeah. uh, you know that's, that's just why I like Jason talking about the miracle function. I mean, you should ring out all of the con luck contingency you have in your plan. So if you have an entrepreneurial venture where and then luck happens or we get lucky, uh, it's not going to work. I, I think you should always allow luck to take hold, meaning be ready for luck to hit you because if luck if luck does hit you, ride it. I mean, that's awesome. You were in the well, right place. Well, that that's what we talk about the luck surface area, right? You increase your luck surface yeah. area, which I think right. is what, you know, the issue uh, gave about this though, so you've kind of increased your luck surface area with DuckDuckGo by, be, by writing a lot of posts and being really big in the hacker news world, right? And it seems like you've had a number of um, recent like strategic partnerships and things pop up. And I'm wondering how much of those had to do with your visibility on places like hacker news. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. But I, I definitely agree with the whole concept. I, I love the look, surface area concept, and I think it's it's apt. Yeah, the um, AI, so kind of similar to that, I'd like to give you a little update on, uh, on uh, AppIgnite, which was kind of interesting. So I got, I, I, I won't use his name because I didn't ask him if I could mention it, but so one of our listeners contacted me um, via Justin because he'd heard me talk about Ignite, and it turns out he works for a large company. I think this is like a billion dollar company and um, they really have a, a need for Ignite. He's like, he said, when he first heard about Ignite, he just was like, yeah, I'm not so sure that's going to work. That just seems too horizontal. And then after being in the situation, he's like, yeah, I can actually see how that's going to work and we need it now. And he, kind of, he basically had a conversation with him couple days ago and he said you know look we got a IT department of like 40 people like 12 people in our web dev group but we don't have we have all of these people throughout the organization who use Excel to track different types of information all sort of like mini ad hoc applications for themselves or their group or department and they come to us and ask us to build apps for them but we tell them look we could, but we might not be able to get to it for two or three months. And then after that, we'll have to take some time. And, and, every, and oftentimes what happens is people are just like, screw it. You know, we just, I can't, 
I don't have the time for it. And so that was pretty exciting because obviously, and, and then, so in the end I told him, I said, look, you know, we're going to try, I'm trying to get in private bait at the end of the month and I'll work with them in, in terms of, you know, trying to get them what they need, you know, to use it and everything. But all of that happened as a result. Uh, the reason this, this guy contacted me is because of the podcast, right? Otherwise he wouldn't have known about it and he wouldn't have been sort of following along with the story. Um, and it's just sort of an example of the Lux surface area concept. Yeah, it's very good. But uh, it was also just exciting, too, to hear like somebody actually call me up and say, hey, we need this now. And we're That's actually a, a fantastic use case. And that is a very, very common. I mean, from, from my experience of corporates, um, that will be a very common use case. So I think that actually could be an awesome first market for you to go for. Yeah, well, that was always always thought along. I thought that was one of the one of the primary markets um, would be in, within corporations, but I wasn't sure. Like, is it something I'm going to get to later, or I'm going to get well, to because sooner? You, you can sneak yeah. in under the under the approval process price, you know. Mm-hmm. So if if you charge the you know the under the five hundred uh, bucks, as David Cancel was saying, you can get into those those corporations, and you don't have to wait for six month decisions. So mm-hmm. I think that could be awesome for Epic Mine. Yeah, we do a right. lot of that at Thompson. You know, you've you've like people need applications written for productivity reasons, particularly back office stuff, organizing things. It's not on the main thread of development, and it's just people have to find time to do those things. It, I think, if you had an app that can quickly generate that stuff, that'd be yeah, definitely. Uh, Jason, just to let you know, uh, we're an hour and a half, uh, so we're okay. getting getting to the end of the show. Okay, well, I wanted to bring up one thing. We had, um, I told these guys, uh, there's a, a new podcast called BitBanter. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of a tech discussion show, not too uh, dissimilar from uh, TechZing. It was interesting. Um, I got an email from um, the guys who uh, they asked, I mean, I think we were on their email list, and they, it was really interesting. They were big fans of TechZing, so they actually talk about us at the beginning of the show that we inspired them. We actually inspired these guys to do awesome. their show. Which was pretty cool. I have to say, I was like pretty flattered. It's almost embarrassing hearing about it. You're like, really, <laughs> our show? So that was kind of cool. And I want to give them a shout out. So it's BitBanter, and uh, they're on iTunes. So um, or and I just did a search on Google. So if you type in BitBanter, um, you'll find where they come from the first page. So um, yeah, gotta say, give those guys, uh, wish those guys luck. And I, I one piece of advice I'd give them is commit to doing ten shows. <laughs> Don't just make sure. Even if you start feeling like it's you're you're not sure you can maintain it or you're not happy with how it's coming out or whatever go one thing justin and i did is we committed to doing 10 shows no matter what and then but once you get beyond 10 you kind of feel like okay we're kind of hitting a groove here and i can stick with it when you say justin yeah definitely definitely um one one other thing to say um i just remembered we have a shout out uh, uh someone uh i can't find his name but uh Espen is 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 his I guess login handle <laughs> his, his handle. handle right yeah who gave us ten dollars uh, so thank you very much uh, for that that's good and if if you would like to uh, donate to the show and help us um, basically redesign our website and uh, also upgrade Jason's audio then just go to textinglive.com forward slash donate please and in addition um, we could really use some iTunes reviews so please when you go into iTunes the next time just write us a uh, write us a quick thumbs up review that hey, really isn't, it, didn't we put a link to that plate from the, the main website I couldn't find it I'd, Phil Manet sent me a link and it didn't really work for me so I'm not really sure how how, oh, okay. how that worked so if we can find a link to it I'll put it on the site but it shouldn't be too hard if you just go into iTunes but yeah we only have a handful I think maybe only three reviews so we gotta get that up that's killing us 
This, I'd have it for years. This has been an awesome show. I, re- I really like the format of this show. And Gabriel, um, thank you very much for coming on the show. And thanks. <laughs> 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 and Phil, thank you very much for coming on the show as well. Oh, it's been fun. It really has been fun. Yeah, well, I thought Justin was, uh, you know, he was going to, with this, all his dental pain lately, I thought he was going to be a dead duck. So I was like, all right, I better, you know, get a couple of uh, interesting, you know, co hosts or guests or whatever on the show to make this thing work. But still work with Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I think it really worked out. It was a lot of fun. I, you know, I was, I was enjoyed talking to Gabe the first time. So it was really fun to have you on again second time, Gabe. And uh, Phil, of course, we always have great conversations. So. Might as well record them, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you record this one? Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, Very funny. Uh-huh. I don't have it on mine. I don't have our insurance policy, right? All right. Well, we got the triple go. We got the triple, we got the double backup, Justin. Yeah. I'm recording it. And you have uh, your, okay. I'm recording it I twice. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Not, lo- not losing one of these suckers again. All right, guys. I cool. guess that's the wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>